So I'm Kendi Easley, and I'm the executive pastor here at Bethany, and I'm so excited to be part of this sermon series, and it's a little nerve-wracking. Like uh, Richard has mentioned that preaching from the Song of Songs, the Song of Solomon, is kind of rare, and after studying it this past week, I know why, because it's kind of tricky. So today, when we're going to look at both stories, really, that are going along, the story of our relationship with God and the story of this kind of love triangle. And actually, our relationship with God is one of those kind of love triangles. You see, God wants us to give our hearts to him out of choice, not out of obligation. And as we look at the scripture today, I want us to know that today we especially celebrate the way that the Holy Spirit moves in our lives. It's actually the Sunday called Pentecost when the Spirit came in the book of Acts. So we know that what God is inviting us to is not just great thoughts about God, but an actual relationship with God. So let's join our hearts in prayer and then we're going to jump in. So, mighty God, I thank you that your word comes to us in power, that, that this often unexplored book has so much to say to us about what we love and who we love and the right ordering of our loves. And so, Lord God, I pray that you would speak to us, that as we consider this question of how can we make this ideal that you have for us become real, uh, that that would happen today in a new way. So, Lord, I thank you that you have invited each one of us here, that you have a word to speak to us, and so we ask that you would open our hearts to hear what the Spirit has to say to us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Those who are monitoring, there we go. I'm on the clock now. That's so helpful because you can get wordy when you're up here. So let me begin by telling you that when I was a senior in college, it was a very challenging time for me because I was one of those people who absolutely loved college, didn't love school, didn't love always having to study, didn't love that there was always a test and always a paper and one more thing you could do, but loved living in community loved having a sense of common purpose, and I loved the way that I had grown through my college experience because, you see, I started out college with probably some idols, I would say, and one of them was the guy I was dating. I chose the college I did because he went there a year before me. And going along in my freshman year, I basically um, found that his life in the fraternity and my life in the sorority had a lot of elements that I didn't care for. Uh, but there they were, and it just all kind of unfolded until it came about in my sophomore year that my sorority invited me to be um, nominated to become president of the sorority, and I was so excited. It's like, woohoo! I'm, I'm going to get to be a leader. This is awesome. And my boyfriend said, they're just asking you because they don't have anybody else to put up against the person they really want. Ouch! Ouch! That really stung. In other words, he didn't really believe in me and kind of what God might be doing in my life. What he thought was going to happen when the two of us stayed together for the rest of our lives is we were going to basically live his life, and I was going to be on the support team. And um, some people sign on for that, and if it's working for you, that's good for you. It wasn't working for me. Um, <laughs> But one of the reasons that sometimes we sign on for that is because we make that relationship, even that love relationship, an idol. And Tim Keller has a great book um, called Counterfeit Gods, and he describes 
a woman's journey this way. He, uh, he nobly says that we sometimes, as women, um, experience the devastation of idolatry and that even society supports it. Where is it here? He says, sometimes um, the female desire now largely seems re reserved for shoes, wedding bells, and babies. No, sometimes not. But we've made an idol of romance and a big wedding to Prince Charming, uh, and we've become enslaved to this desire. So this is a, a woman, he quotes, who encourages women essentially to not let the idolatry of a relationship enslave us, but to know instead the true bridegroom, to hear Jesus say, I am the true bridegroom. There's only one set of arms that will give you all your heart's desires and await you at the end of, the, of time. If only you turn to me and know that I love you. And then says this, that this woman's experience, Sally got her life back. She went to a counselor who rightly pointed out that she'd been looking to men for her identity. So as we look at Song of Solomon, we see a woman who is not looking to men for our, her identity. In fact, we've seen again and again this affirmation of the strength of the woman in this story. And friends, that's all of us. God empowered us with this amazing gift of free will. So as we look today at how to make this ideal that God has in mind for us real, we're going to look at five letters, I-D-E-A-L. I'm going to try to hit all of them, and if you don't notice, I'm going from one to the next. I'll try to highlight it. So we're starting with the invitation, then we're going to go to distortion, and then engagement, and then appreciation, and then how to make it last. So starting with this idea, um, we've come from... Uh, the end of chapter 4, where there was this kind of snapshot. If you were here last week, you might remember this like snapshot of the togetherness of these two lovers. It's like an impossible like sweetness. It's just this delightful moment. And we sometimes experience those with God, right? Like we, we go on a big adventure. The other day I climbed up to Mount Si with my family and looking out, it's like 360 degree view and there was Mount Rainier and it was just, for me it was like breathtaking that God created all this and I felt the, the joy of being able to do that physically. It was one of those moments, but you can't stay on the mountaintop forever, right? The Christian life isn't like that. It, it's not just one joyous ecstatic high after the next. You kind of come back down. So as that chapter had uh, ended, you'll remember that it said, um, oh, it's just this, the north wind is blowing and the south wind is blowing through the garden and the lover says, eat friends, drink and be drunk with love. It's like, woohoo! And then we turn to what Megan read. The lover knocks, but the woman, she's already in her PJs. Like, I can so relate with this. She's had her hot bath. She's been reading in her little journal or her book club book. She's maybe written a few thoughts down, and the day is done. Taps have been played. She's, like, wiped out, done, close the door. But the lover is knocking, and she has the power. She has the choice to say yes or no. And in this moment, there's this kind of affirmation that no is no. 
So the lover knocks, and, and she, she goes through this thing, like, do you want me to put my slippers and my robe back on and, like, answer the door and kind of go through this whole thing of it engaging with you? No, I'm not in the mood. I don't, I don't have time for this. Do we do that with God? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I do it all the time. Do you overgive yourself away during the day so that at the end of the day you kind of forget about who God is? Or do you hit snooze button so many times in the morning that there's really no time to spend a moment with Jesus? Absolutely. But Jesus says to us, no matter where we are in our life, I stand at the door of your life and mine, and I knock. And and if you open the door, I want to come into your life. And even by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to dwell in you. I'm going to reshape you from the inside out. I'm going to give you a joy that you could never earn or find on your own. And we say, no, thank you. I'm, I'm too busy. I'm handling my life on my own. Thank you very much. It's our choice. But friends, today we need to know that God is a God who invites us. He woos us. He doesn't demand his way in. But he tries to reveal himself and say, look who I am. Look at what it would be to be in a relationship with me. So the woman in the story says, my soul failed me. I love that. My soul failed me when I heard his voice. Isn't that true for us, that we hear God's voice, we hear that nudge, but our soul fails to respond. It's like it fails within us. So we have this invitation to follow God, and he makes that invitation again and again. His mercies are new every morning. God is both transcendent and very near. And I think sometimes we want to say, oh, no, 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 it's God's fault. God is too far away and too hard to get to. And God is saying, no, I am right here. I am knocking at the door, and all you have to do is open it, and I'll come in. So maybe it's happened for you as it has for me that sometimes I get super anxious about God coming into my life. Like, what would it be like to really invite God in, to really say yes? When I was in that senior year of college, I was having this kind of ambivalence, had broken up with the boyfriend that seemed to be kind of becoming an idol, and was finding my way through my, as my dad said, what are you going to do with a psychology major? But that's what I was graduating with. And I was wondering, what's next? Because I had basically been, I went from school to school to school, and now I'm going to graduate. And for some, uh, you may have had this experience where you achieve a goal, and then you wake up the next day, and it's like, okay, what do I do now? And I had that concern and was really wondering if I could trust that God essentially had a plan for my future. So I was living in a sorority house, and we had these amazing meals, and I was one of those people who did not eat to live. I lived to eat, 
And so I've discovered that maybe one of the things I could do for Jesus is just sort of build my relationship with God into my day. And I decided to go, or felt called really to go on a fast. So instead of these big meal times, I was having these big prayer times. And it absolutely reshaped my life with Christ. It was a mountaintop experience in which I began to believe that even though I couldn't see around the corner of my life, God could and that God was going to provide for me, that I could say yes in a new way. So I did. And I, uh, the story unfolds, actually. We don't need to go into all that. Went to work in San Francisco, et cetera, et cetera. But there are times when we have this distortion about who God is. And that was one of those times for me where my soul wakened within me, and it's like, <gasps> I want to say yes. I want to be the kind of person who can say yes to God. And that's what happens in our story. The lover essentially has realizes that she had a distortion. We're at D now. We're going to keep moving through these letters. She had a distortion, and she changed her mind, and she hurries to go repair it. And so she goes looking for her lover, and she can't find him. And this, in this passage, it's like a dream within the bigger dream. It's like she's having a really bad dream. You've had these before. Like if you're giving a big presentation and you get really nervous that you're not going to be ready, you're not going to find the notes, you are a newlywed and you think, oh my gosh, my love is going to get in the car and they're going to be in a car accident. And or as a mom, you wake, you have a dreams about horrible things happening to your children, and you wake up. Haven't you had these where you wake up and you think, oh, thank goodness that was just a dream, right? So she's having this kind of dream, and in her dream, she pursues, she goes walking through the city, and the watchmen who had been innocuous in the chapters before, they're now... Um, commit violence against her. Like things happen to her that are horrible, that we would never want to have happen. And some of us have had those kinds of experiences. Some of us would say like, yeah, for me, that wasn't a dream. That was real. What, ha what happened to me, my being violated was, was awful and shameful and I was vulnerable. Now the truth is God is still for us. God is still with us. And she makes this claim as she um, goes through this distortion and the watchmen shame her and, and there's like physical predators in her dream and she's wounded. We would think that she would maybe turn her heart against her lover and say like, it's all your fault if you would have just waited at the door longer. And we do that to God, don't we? When those circumstances come along in our life, like when I was going through infertility or when my husband and I would get in an argument on our honeymoon, I was thinking as I was preparing this, our honeymoon was more like a vinegar moon. <laughs> yeah, like we had some tension going on in those first weeks of our marriage. In fact, we've been married so long. We were married the same year that Prince Charles and Lady Di and when they were getting divorced seven years later, we were just getting the hang of it. Like, it had been a long road. There's a faithfulness and a loyalty that we see in this woman. As she turns to her friends, now we're at E, engagement. And she says to her friends, could you go and look for my beloved? Because I'm faint with love. It's like God is saying, don't give up on longing for things to be set right. 
with people, with God. Don't give up. Even speak well of the other. I think of Jesus and the rich young ruler. Do you remember? The rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, you keep the law and the prophets. And the rich young ruler said, I've done that. Like, check. And then this is what I've never noticed until I was recently studying the scripture. Jesus turned and he looked at him. And the scripture says he looked at him and he loved him. He loved him just the way he was. And then he went on to say, then give away all that you have because you've got the love of money and the love of your stuff. So so sell your possessions. Give your heart to me. That was the invitation. So Jesus looks at us with the eyes of love. In the same way that this this lover goes looking for her love, she could be angry, but she, she doesn't go that way. She trusts, she says to her friends, when you find my love, tell him that I'm sick with love. There's an author that I want to recommend to you, Teresa of Avila. She was, uh, grew up in the 1500s. And when she was 20 years old, she felt a call really to Christian ministry. She became a nun, and that was kind of what was open to her at the time. And her family was not so excited about her becoming a nun. In fact, her dad sort of said, you're not an old maid yet. Just hang in there, and you'll find a good guy. And she said, I did. It's Jesus. (laughs) And she entered the convent, and her dad took her dowry, and he donated it to the convent. And I I just think that's a noble story that I wanted to tell because it's like he bought into her dream and he set her up for success. Uh, Because of his donation, she was able to have her own room and probably because she had her own room, we have the writings that we do. She was canonized 40 years after her death in the 1600s and she became a doctor of the Catholic Church in the 1970s, which as a woman, super rare. But her amazing journey talks about this journey of the soul to look at another with the eyes of love. She says, um, oh, I love this one. She has these great one-liners. She says, may God protect me from gloomy saints. Like, she's, she's just going to ask that God, like, continues to shape her heart. Um, here we go, this one. Okay, our souls may lose their peace and even disturb other people's if we are always criticizing Criticizing trivial actions. Okay, anybody feeling convicted like you're yelling at other drivers all the time, criticizing them? She says this, their actions are often not real defects at all, but we construe them wrongly through our ignorance of their motives. Aren't you always attributing other people with bad motives, but maybe that's not how we see ourselves? So the reason I wanted to bring out uh, Teresa of Avila is that she is the one who started to describe like everyday prayer, this kind of, the Apostle Paul talks about praying continually, being engaged with God continually. She says this, mental prayer is what she calls it, in my opinion, is nothing else than an intimate sharing between friends. It means taking time frequently to be alone with him who we know loves us. Him who we know loves us, no matter what our circumstances. And that's the attitude of this lover. When she says to her friends, when you find my love, tell him 
that, that I'm heartsick for him. Like, I love him. I know he loves me. I, I want to be back in relationship. I want to be engaged. I want to have Jesus look at me and love me. So now let's pick up what happens next in this story. Our second scripture reading, or third actually, um, is out of Song of Songs, and we're going into, I have so many books to recommend to you today. Um, we're going into uh, the second half of uh, chapter five. The friends say, what is your beloved more than another beloved, O most beautiful among women? What is your beloved more than another that you would adjure us to go find him? And she says this, my beloved. Now, this is like, imagine talking about God this way, no matter what circumstances you're in. My beloved is radiant and ruddy, distinguished among 10,000. His head is the finest gold. His locks are wavy, black as a raven. His eyes are like doves beside streams of water, bathed in milk, sitting beside a full pool. Full pool. That means he has like really white eyes with a beautiful pupil. His cheeks are like beds of spices, mounds of sweet-smelling herbs. His lips are lilies dripping with liquid myrrh. His arms are rods of gold set with jewels. His body is polished ivory, bedeckled with sapphires. His legs are alabaster columns on bases of gold. I'm picturing like David, you know, by Michelangelo. His appearance is like Lebanon, choicest cedars. His mouth is most sweet, and he is altogether desirable. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. This is our God. This is our God who's worthy of our appreciation and praise, no matter what our circumstances. Is it true for you that you can speak a word of appreciation about your love or about your God, no matter what you're going through? Uh, this author that I like, Shauna Nyquist, she's sort of a modern-day Mother Teresa in a way. She's writing a, uh, she has a blog, she has several books where she talks about her own journey of coming to say no to the idol, uh, particularly of work and of performance, and to say yes uh, to the kind of the glory and the presence of God in her life. And uh, she says this. Um, what you need, okay, here's the good news. You get to decide who you're going to be and who you're going to disappoint, who you're going to say no to. So this lover in our story it decides, she said, kind of no to the wrong choice. And it gets easier over time, this disappointment of saying no to someone who's going to be disappointed. What you need along the way is this, this exciting part. A sense of God's deep, unconditional love and a strong sense of your own purpose. Without these two, you'll need from people what is only God's to give. And you'll give up on your larger purpose in order to fulfill smaller purposes or other people's purposes for you. And then she goes on to say, essentially, let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you say, this is what I can do, this is what I can't, you'll find so much freedom in that. You'll be free to love your work because you're not using it as a sneaky way to be loved or approved of. You'll be free to love the things you give to people because you're giving them freely, untangled from resentments and anger. Free to be engaged with the right things, with the right people, with the right choices, with the right use of your time, with the God who created you and loves you. Free to use your time in a way that invites God in 
to dwell with you. So uh, God invites us into this engaged way of living and into appreciating who God is. Yes, we experience the absence of a lover, the absence of God, but do we stop to remember, to appreciate who God is? This, this author gives 10 attributes of her lover. His head, his hair, his eyes, cheeks, lips, hands, abdomen, legs, his overall appearance, his mouth. How do you talk about people when you're not around them? Your lover, your friends, your God? Do, you, do we get stuck on the circumstances that are less than ideal? Like, why is this happening to me? Why did she get a promotion and I didn't? Why did that person get into that school and not me? Or why did my roommate get a call back for a great job and I got a no thanks? One of our location pastors put it this way. He says, I want to kill the accountant between me and God. The one who's constantly keeping score. If you're an accounting major, I don't mean that literally. I see some of you elbowing one another. If you are an accounting major, however, do not use your Excel tracking sheet at home. It, it's like, that's not where we do that. At, at home, we bring a different attitude, and that's what we're saying. It's, it's not a measuring of good enough or worthy enough or perfect enough or ideal enough. It's a matter of appreciating even the otherness of the other or the otherness of God. Notice who God is. Notice who other people are. It's the opposite of a song that I heard the other day when we were working out as a family. This, you know, they play this loud, intense music. And this, the this, uh, artist was singing, there's only me. You are an illusion. There's only me. Oppositely, you are real. My feelings may come and go. My thoughts may come and go. But God is real. You people are real. We're going to celebrate communion in a minute because Jesus said, I want you to know that I'm real. I want you to remember that the God of the universe became a human being. Can, can we appreciate that? Can we notice that in our daily life? So following Jesus gives us this opportunity to open a door, to open a door to the God who wants to come into our lives and dwell with us. And Jesus promises that this will last. We're at lasting now, made it to L. This God of grace wants to live in long-lasting relationship with us. The passage that Megan read from Revelation is talking about the way earth and heaven will be opened up. In John's vision, John's dream, he sees that when Jesus knocks at the door and the door is opened, he sees Christ, God, sitting on the throne. He sees a light that he can't describe. He sees it's like shining like jewels. And the gateway, the, the pathway, the bridge between heaven and earth has been opened up. Heaven is not for someday, after you've sown your wild oats. Jesus and God are not for later, like good for the children when you're raising kids. They're here right now in this moment wanting to build a relationship with us that's going to last for all eternity. If you want that relationship in all eternity, don't you want to start it now? Don't you want to say yes in this moment 
Yes, Lord God, I want to open that door. I want you in my life. I want you shaping my life. One of the ways that my life is very much shaped by God is through this book called Seeking God's Face. It's a devotional guide, praying with the Bible through the year. And every day, there's an invitation. It's like a scripture inviting me into relationship with God. Then there's a Bible song, a psalm. Then there's a Bible reading. And then this is the part that I love. There's a section called dwelling. And it invites every day, read that scripture again that you just read. Dwell in it. And and it says things like find a phrase or a word. And then it says enjoy the presence of your Lord and Savior. Or sometimes it says dwell in the peace of the presence of God. Friends, this is what Song of Solomon is inviting us to. This daily relationship with God that when God stands at the door and knocks on the door of our lives, we would say, yes, come on in. Dwell with me, for I long to be the person that you created and designed and redeemed and empowered me to be. We are not alone. We're not in a contract relationship with God. This is, if you X, Y, Z then I will respond. No, God, when we come to this table, God is saying, I am for you. And if God is for us, who can be against us? Don't don't dwell on who's against you. Don't dwell on what's gone wrong. Don't dwell on what might have been or the regrets or the fears. Perfect love casts out fear. And this is perfect love. You have nothing to fear, not even death itself. The Apostle Paul says, for we are more than conquerors. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Nothing at all. So today, as you come to the table, uh, I ask you to consider how are you making this ideal life that God has in mind for you, this like kingdom living out in you. Teresa of Avila calls Jesus his majesty. His majesty wants to meet you in this place, wants to meet you every day, wants to be your constant companion. Would you say yes? Say yes to that next step. Maybe it's not the first time. So many times we say, say yes to Jesus. What about saying yes to Jesus in this transition that you're in today, this afternoon, the way you use your time? When you wake up tomorrow, dedicating your day, When you go to graduation, saying, yes, God, I'm excited about what you have for me next, being willing to share your full self with the God who gave himself for you. So it was on the night that he was betrayed and arrested, on that very night, that Jesus took the bread, the physical bread, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Why did he do that? Because it was a physical reality. And 2,000 years later, here we are, saying the same words, celebrating the same physical reality that God became a human being, that God is with us in a way that we could have never imagined, that God has accomplished something that we could have never done for ourselves. He's given us this new covenant in his blood, shed for the forgiveness of our sins, that we might have a life that's beyond the life we could have had 
unless Jesus did this for us. So he says, do this in remembrance of me, that whenever you drink this cup and eat this bread, you proclaim Jesus' life, death, and resurrection until he comes again. Please pray with me. Mighty God, we thank you that you have drawn us here today, that you are drawing us to yourself. Lord, that you don't force your way into our lives, but you invite us to say yes to life in you. And our God, we pray that you would so shape us as the people of God, that others would come to know you and come to love you. Lord, we pray that we would stand with those who are most vulnerable. We would grieve with those who grieve. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, that your will would be done, that we would be part of the doing of that goodwill. Lord, I pray that we would be friends with the friendless. I pray that we'd have a word of appreciation to say about who you are. I pray that there would not be one set of ears on this planet who have not heard that there is a God who loves them. And our God, we pray against the violence that is happening in our world. We ask, Lord, that you would somehow um, intervene, that we would be a people who stand against terrorism, against prejudice, against all that has happened um, Lord, that makes us as a people less than you would want us to be. So come, Lord Jesus, use our lives to your glory. We ask in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.